Well, James chapter 3 is where we are in our time of study. Turn there in your Bible if you haven't done so yet. This is the high point of the worship time, the worship service. Why? Because this is when God speaks through the reading of the word and through the faithful preaching of the word of God. It's no wonder, James said, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, because we will incur a stricter judgment. I am aware of that. But yet I have prayed, I have studied, I have prepared, and I am ready to preach the word of God from James chapter 3. Now last week we looked at verses 1 to 5 on the tongue, and now we're going to look at verses 6 to 12. But follow with me as I begin in verse 1, just so we can get the whole context of James's argument. James 3, beginning in verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members is that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Everyone knew him, everyone knew him, as the really foul-mouthed man. He was a Scottish young man. He enlisted as a soldier in the Scottish army, and he lived an uncontrollable life in immorality, drunkenness, fighting, and foul-mouthed cursing. His name was Robert Flockhart. His was a James 3, 6 kind of tongue. The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. Amazingly, in the grace of God, Robert Flockhart at one point was hospitalized due to bodily afflictions, and he had one thing with him in his hospital room, and that one thing he had with him was a Bible. And he had the Bible with him because he had taken it from a young officer who had been gunned down in a duel with him. 
So amazingly and wonderfully and mercifully, God saved Robert Flockhart. He was such a great sinner and he came to be a great proclaimer of the gospel. He loved his Savior who had washed him. He loved his Savior who had cleansed him. He loved the Savior who had transformed his life. And it had been said of Robert Flockhart as he continued to grow in his faith in the Lord Jesus that you could find him every week at the spot. In Scotland, everybody knew where this was in Edinburgh. He would go to the spot and street preach. He would street preach the gospel in the open city square. You say, why? Here's what Robert Flockhart said, quote, Compassion to the souls of men drove me to the streets and lanes of my city to plead with sinners, to persuade them to come to Jesus. And in my preaching, I dwelt much on persuading sinners to come to Jesus. I dwelt upon the death and the consequences of death, the everlasting punishment of that death that awaited the ungodly, and then I begged them to trust in Christ. He had sinned much. He had been forgiven much. And now he loved his Savior much. This foul-mouthed man has become a fervent preacher for his Lord. On one occasion, an unbelieving journalist said of him, Robert Flockhart, is a true Christian fanatic. He withstood every insult in his service of his Lord. Once, he went into a restaurant, and he began singing a hymn inside the restaurant. He was knocked out cold by someone who took a large wooden stick and hit him in the head. He was urged later to report this cowardly assault to the police, but then Robert Flockhart said, no, 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 I will merely pray for him. Now, how in the world does a man who is so foul-mouthed become a fervent worshiper and proclaimer and testifier of his God? How does that happen? And the explanation is only the power of God. The power of God. Words have power. He knew that. He heard a lot of people in the words that he said in his life before God saved him. But all for the power of God to transform his life and to turn him into a proclaimer of his Savior. He did it to Robert Flockhart. Christian, he's done it to you as well. He's done a great work in your life. Did you know that God can transform your tongue? He can. And I know we can read James 3 today and we can read it and say, boy, this is so convicting. How could I ever live this out and be obedient to God and speak righteously? Well, you can't by your own power. But you can by the almighty power of the Spirit of God who lives within you. But maybe you've been on the receiving end of hurting words. 
Maybe you can relate to Job when he was with his bad counselor, Bildad. And Job said to Bildad, how long will you torment me and crush me with your words? You ever felt like that with someone? You're just crushing me with your words. You're tormenting with, with your words. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of that. Maybe you've been the one saying those words. We saw last week in verses 1 to 5, the power of the tongue. Your tongue is tiny but mighty. Your tongue is tiny but powerful. And remember the three images that James gave of something very small but has great power. We saw the bit in the horse's mouth. We saw the rudder in the ship and that little spark that can cause a whole fire. Just like your tongue. Small but really powerful. Well, today what we want to do is we want to look at James's argument in verses 6 to 13, and we are going to understand how Pastor James goes deeper. Not just the power of your tongue. He's going to give some unflattering dangers. Unflattering dangers of your tongue. Now, here's what I want to do as we work through these verses together. I want to give you three realities of your tongue. Three realities of your tongue. Number one, it's hurtful. Number two, it's untamable. Number three, it's hypocritical. Ouch. But that's what James says. Now we're going to look at this carefully and we are going to see the realities of our tongues. And we want to understand what God says about our tongues and then Hang with me today in this sermon. It's a doozy, but hang with me. We're going to have the Lord's Supper. And we're going to behold a great Savior. One who died in our place to take even the sins of our mouth upon himself. Okay? So hang with me. Let's understand what James says about our tongue. Number one, I want you to see with me in verse six, the tongue is hurtful. It is hurtful. It was a Monday night, not a normal Monday night, but Will angrily stormed out of church. It was a deacon meeting. And Will stomped out of that building because he had a new policy that he just thought was perfect. I mean, he thought this policy was perfect for his church, and yet nobody else in the deacon meeting agreed with him. And so it was not passed, and nor was it implemented into the church at that time. And, and Will was furious, and he took it personally, and he, and he stormed out of the meeting, mumbling and grumbling. And then he began to spread division in the church. He knew what he was doing. He began to gossip in the church. He began to slander in the church. And you could only imagine the havoc ensued by the atomic explosion that hurt and wounded many in that church. Look at verse 6. Look at this in your Bible. James says, the tongue is a fire. 
I mean, that's the statement. The tongue is a fire. Your tongue is a fire. And then he's going to describe that with four clauses. Verse 6, it is the world of iniquity. It is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. It sets on fire the course of our life, and it is set on fire by hell. But your tongue is hurtful. It's a fire? Well, the idea of fire is destructive. Brothers, sisters, you've been there. Words hurt. They can really hurt. Boys and girls, your mouth and your tongue has power. Power to hurt people. Power to help people and encourage people. But boy, it can be used for great harm. And what James says is the tongue is a fire, and then he's going to explain that in four phrases. Or maybe we we might say these are uncomplimentary phrases that highlight the horror of the hurt of our tongues. I want to give you the four phrases. Number one, the first phrase that describes our hurting tongue, it is a world of iniquity. Or literally, it's the world of unrighteousness. What does that mean? You say, Pastor Jeff, what does that mean that my tongue is a world of unrighteousness? It means that your tongue is a system of arrangement of evil. Your tongue is rebellion. Your tongue is that which is a world of sin. I mean, let's just ask the question, how often do you manipulate? How often do you threaten? How often do we accuse? How often do we guilt into getting what we want? How often do we slander? How often do we gossip in our lives? I mean, it, it, it happens. We've been there. We're guilty. And James says your tongue is a fire. Number one, it's the world of unrighteousness. The second phrase that he brings up, it defiles the whole body. I mean, this little thing right here in your mouth, your little tongue defiles the whole body. See it in verse six? The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the whole body. It spreads, it infects, it contaminates the whole. It stains and defiles. If we were in London and let's just say for illustration's sake, the queen was going to get married. If the queen was going to get married and she puts on the dress and yet there's one big mud stain right on the front of that wedding dress, well, that makes the whole thing corrupt and unusable for her. Your tongue does that to the whole body. The third phrase that he brings out, third, it sets on fire the course of your life. Your little tongue, I mean, boys and girls, you've got a tongue in your mouth. That little tongue sets on fire the course of your life. That's what he says in verse 6. It sets on fire the course of the life. What does that mean? It influences your life. It's the idea of the whole circle of your inner passions, the wrong use of your tongue. Boy, it can bring jealousy, it can bring factions, it can bring every kind of bad deed in your life. It can ruin a life, it can ruin a marriage, it can ruin a career, it can ruin everything. This tongue, this little thing, 
in our mouths has that power to hurt. I found this to be a very helpful comment. I want to share it with you. One writer said, if you spread gossip, people aren't going to trust you. You speak with sarcasm and insults, people aren't going to follow you. But what James is talking about here is not so much the reaction of other people to your speech, but rather what James is dealing with is the spreading of sin from your speech to the rest of your life. So the writer continues, if you're hateful with your tongue, you're going to be hateful with all your behavior. He says, if you don't discipline and purify your speech, you're not going to discipline and purify your whole life because our tongue affects our whole life. And if that wasn't enough, there's a fourth phrase. It's an uncomplimentary phrase, but it's true. The end of verse six, your tongue is set on fire by hell. What does that mean? The tongue is Satan's tool. It can fulfill hell's purpose to pollute, corrupt, destroy, harm, divide. That's what Satan loves. That's what he loves. Now, I think in verse 6, when he says, your tongue is set on fire by hell, it can refer to the origin of our sinful speech, but I think it also refers to the reality of punishment of hellfire that will come upon all unbelievers who are guilty and remain in their unbelief. You know people like this. Maybe you were like this. Maybe you were like Robert Flockhart, that, that, you had that reputation of he's a foul-mouthed guy. And that, that guy's got a terrible mouth. He complains, he grumbles, he hates people, he's so mean and bitter and... What would a person do if he continues on in his evil speech, revealing the heart of evil? If he dies in that condition and he stands before a holy God, what will he do? What what will a sinner do when he has heard gospel offers and yet he rejects the gospel and he goes on to speak arrogance? which comes from a heart of unbelief and arrogance and pride. And he continues in that pattern of sin his whole life. Dreadful will that day of judgment be for that one. Can you imagine God saying to sinners, depart from me, depart from me. No grace, no grace on that day. But today is the day of grace. Today is the day to be washed. Maybe someone's here with that foul mouth. Maybe someone's here today with a corrupt mouth. Is there any hope? Yes. The Savior says, come. Come. Come now. Come at once. Don't let your tongue lead and deceive and usher you into hell forever. The tongue is set on fire by hell. Uncontrolled tongues will lead sinners to hellfire. It's like in Colorado. In Colorado, one careless camper who, who leaves an ember burning in a campfire on a windy day in the mountains, and that little ember could start a wildfire. I mean, it could destroy hundreds of thousands of acres. 
Well, your tongue has the same effect. Your tongue can have the same effect. One careless and one hurtful word can can wreck a career. It can ruin marriages. It can hurt children. It can destroy lives and totally alter the course of your whole life. What's James saying in verse 6 with all of these phrases? The tongue is hurtful. That's why Proverbs 18 is true. The words that you speak have the power of life and death. The tongue is hurtful, but second, the tongue is untamable. It is untamable. If you're taking notes, this is found in verses 7 and 8. Now, I want you to see this, and, and you all get this. Boys and girls, you get this. Many of you have animals, or you know families that have animals. Look at verse 7. Every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, can be tamed. All kinds of animals can be tamed. We know that. People tame their dogs, and they train their dogs, and people train monkeys to do tricks, and sea lions to do tricks, and birds to do all kinds of tricks. We know that. That happens. That's what James says in verse 7. That is clear. Verse 8. Do you see it in your Bible? But no one, no one can tame. The tongue. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Literally, if we were to be word for word from the Greek, here's what James says There is not a man alive who is able to tame or overpower his tongue. There's nobody alive who can do this. There's not a living person on the planet who can control his tongue. I mean, human ability is powerless. It's like James saying, you can't do it. You can train your dog. You can train your animals. You can train any creature. But you can't tame the tongue. Verse 8, James continues, it is a Restless evil. And the word was also found in James 1, verse 8, of the restless sea, the ocean waves, uncontrollable, something that can lash out at any moment. Do you know anybody like that? Were you like that at one point? Untamable tongue. And James is saying in verse 8, no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, and this thing is full of poison. It hurts, it harms, it can kill. But, listen, listen to this. You can't tame your tongue, but God can. You can't tame your tongue, but God can. Here's the great example that I love to reflect on. Mark chapter 5. It's the uncontrollable madman living in the tombs. He's got a couple thousand demons living in him. He's powerful. He's uncontrollable. He's screaming. He's cutting himself. I mean, all kinds of paganism and false religion and uncontrollable schizophrenic-like behavior. Who's going to control that guy? Nobody in this world until he meets Jesus. 
The demons are cast out. Jesus cleanses him, forgives him, saves him. And then the text says in Mark 5, he was seated at the Lord's feet. Luke 8 tells us not only was he seated at the Lord's feet, he was sober-minded and self-controlled. He was clothed. And then he went on to be a proclaimer of the great things God had done for him. He can't tame his tongue. But God can. Don't you love that phrase? But God can. No man by his own ability could ever subdue the tongue. The tongue of the unregenerate man, the unbeliever, cannot be controlled. I suppose somebody could take some medication. Somebody could try to to have a little therapy or behavioral management and try to shape up things a little bit and how they talk, and that, that may work for a season. But no unbeliever can truly, at the heart level, at the source, tame the tongue. But Christian, you need to know that you as a child of God can control your tongue. What would happen? At the end of verse 8 tells us that the tongue is full of deadly poison. Boys and girls, you'll like this. Listen to this. What would happen if you come to church next week and the elders say, Welcome to Christ Fellowship Bible Church. Just want to let you know we've let loose a few poisonous snakes in here. And not only that, a few lions, and they're hungry. Just be careful where you sit. Well, you would run out the door and you would not come back. Why? Because that would cause great harm. Unruly, untamed, ungodly, unholy tongues can produce the same harm as a vicious animal like that. But Christian, I want you to hear something. Yes, your tongue is hurtful. And it is untamable. But as a child of God, as a Christian, listen to this. You can and you should, let's just be more direct. You must tame your tongue, Christian. You must. You must do it. Ephesians 4 tells us to do this. Colossians 3 tells us to do this. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit tells us that the Spirit of God produces that work in us. 1 Peter 2 tells us we can do this. Let me just give you one example. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3 tells us that if you have been raised up with Christ, you are to seek the things above. You've died and your life is hidden with Christ. So then Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 5, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. It's because of these things that God's wrath is coming. For in them, I love this, you also once walked. Do you hear that? You once walked in this way. But now put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Do you hear that? He's saying, Christian, you have died to your old way of life. You can, you should, you must put off bad speech and put on godly speech. And he goes on to talk about what we should 
put on in its place. Well, like what? You say, Pastor Jeff, like what? What would be some good ways in which we ought to speak? I'm glad you asked. Let me give you some examples. We ought to speak words that are truthful. We ought to speak words that are timely. We ought to speak words that encourage. We ought to speak words that edify and build up. We ought to speak words of counsel, biblical counsel to one another. We ought to speak words of comfort. We ought to speak words of worship to our great God. We ought to speak words of praise, extolling, honoring our Savior who loved us and died for us. We ought to speak words in our evangelism. We ought to speak words where we testify and we proclaim. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. We ought to speak words of prayer. Praying to God. We ought to speak words that stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We ought to speak words of song, of praise and melody to God. We ought to speak words that are seasoned with kindness and words that are grace filled. Christian, do you get the point? James is saying in James chapter 3 no one can tame the tongue, it is a restless evil, full of poison. But yet, Christian, No human being on planet earth in his own strength can tame the tongue, but child of God, with a new heart, with a new nature, indwelt by the Spirit of God, listen carefully, you can, you should, and you must tame the tongue. There's a lot of what not to do, but I just gave you all these examples of what we can do. Say in its place, truthful words, timely words, edifying words, comforting words, praising words, and so on. I was reading this week a sermon by a Puritan pastor, Thomas Brooks, and uh, Thomas Boston, rather, and he, he was talking about the sins of the tongue from James 3, and he said, when you sin in the tongue, it's the fool's badge. It's the fool's badge. He said, but let me give you two counsels to guard you from folly. Here's what he said. Number one, diligently labor to get your heart pure by Christ and scripture. I love that counsel. If we're going to talk well, he said, get your heart filled with Christ and filled with scripture. You got a bad mouth? Read the word more. Be more in the word. Why? Because that's the source of all that comes out of the mouth is your heart. He said, labor to get your heart pure in Christ and by scripture. Second of all, Thomas Boston said this, impress the fear of God on your heart and always live under the watchful eye of God. God is watching. God is hearing Boys and girls, God is listening. How you talk to one another, how you talk to mom and dad, parents, how you talk to your children, husbands, how you talk to your wives, how you talk to each other in the church family. 
Oh, that we would diligently labor to get our heart pure in Christ in Scripture, and that we would impress the fear of God on our hearts, and we would live under the watchful eye of God. Why? Because we realize from the book of James about our tongue, these realities. It's hurtful, and it's untamable. But Christian, you can tame your tongue. Third, your tongue is also hypocritical. You say, Jeff, how dare you say that? I didn't. James did. Look at verse 9. Notice what James in love does. I mean, he comes into your kitchen on this one. These are the faithful are the wounds of a friend. The Spirit of God convicts. And if you're wounded... You have a God who loves you. And the Spirit of God convicts. Why? Because the Lord reproves those whom he loves. So don't resist this. Put to death the attorney at this moment. That inner attorney that would rise up and give every defense, put it aside. Verse 9. With the tongue... With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. We say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And then with that same tongue, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. What's the situation? Verse 9, I don't need to belabor it. It's so clear. I mean, in verse 9, with this little tongue in our mouth, we can bless God, and with that same tongue, we can curse men. It's like blessing God in the assembly and cursing men in the city. How easy it is for us to sing hymns during the worship service and then afterward we get in the car and it's like... We argue and fight and bicker and chastise all the way home. And James is saying, my brethren, it should not be this way. Do you hear the love in the pastoral rebuke there? My brethren, my, my brethren, these things ought not to be this way. And then we see the situation in verse 9. We have this tongue where we bless God, and then this tongue where we curse men, and they're made in the likeness of God. They're made in the image of God with dignity and worth. Verse 10, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things shouldn't be this way. What a shepherding rebuke. It shouldn't be this way. But now, this this is so brilliant for James to do. Look at the source in verse 11. Notice what he does in verse 11. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? We said it last week, but let me say it again. James is not so much concerned about the muscle the organ in your mouth. He's dealing in verse 11 with the fountain that sends out. He's dealing with the heart. What's the source 
of our words. It's our hearts. So I said it last week, but let me remind you again. Word problems are heart problems. The the, the mouth, our words, just simply make public what was private in the heart. It's like the PowerPoint screen. It's not a problem with the screen. If there's a typo or something wrong, it's not the screen's fault. That's simply making public what was on the inside of that device in the back. Your words make public what was private in your heart. Okay, so you have a neighbor, and your neighbor has an apple tree. And that apple tree is terrible. It only produces foul, stinky, rotten apples. I mean, this thing is not a good tree. You know it. He knows it. Everybody knows it. But this neighbor of yours really, really wants good apples. So you know what he does? He goes to Costco. And he goes to Costco and he buys boxes of big, shiny, red, juicy apples. So he brings them all home, he unloads all the apples, and then he goes to his garage and he gets his nail gun. And you look out your window and you see your neighbor out there with a ladder and he's got his nail gun and he's nailing apples to the branches of his tree. He's all done. And he thinks, finally, I've got a tree that looks amazing. It's got apples on it. It's healthy because it looks really good for the moment, right? Wrong. Well, the the problem might look a little better for the moment. But we all know that the real root fundamental level hasn't changed with that apple tree. The root system hasn't changed. So it is with our hearts. So it is with our tongues. We can try to shape up our our mouth and our words and say things that are a little bit better and be kind. And we can try to do that so that it looks good for a while. But James says in verse 11, the fountain. That's your heart. You, You need heart change. So bad words is not a technique problem. It's not a critical problem. It's not so much even an anger problem or a worldly problem or a cussing problem. We don't need need a spiritual tongue doctor. We need a spiritual cardiologist. Praise God that God does that heart work, that God purifies our hearts. He changes our hearts. He washes our hearts. We can be renewed in our minds by the word of God day after day after day. Matthew 15, that which comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. That's what defiles the man. Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow all the springs of life. Matthew 12, 34, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Sometimes in the morning after I spend some time in prayer and, and uh, maybe have my hymnal and sing a little bit and read the word, I have David Brainerd's journals. 
that Jonathan Edwards put together. And here's what David Brainerd said. It's so helpful. I found this to be so, just such as a great example for us. He resolved that when there was a fellow Christian and their name was being mentioned in David Brainerd's presence, Brainerd said, if I can't say anything positive about that person, If I cannot say anything good about that person, I'm going to refrain from all speech about him. In fact, I'm going to even turn away and not even participate in that conversation. Why? Here's what Brainerd said in his journal. Because it would be better to be silent than to be careless with fire and destroy a brother for whom Christ died. What a great example. What what a great example. What a great way to be thinking. And James says in verse 12, can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives? And we all say, no. Well, what about a vine? Can it produce figs? And we all say, no. Well, what about salt water? Can it produce fresh water? And we all say, no. Why? Because James is after our hearts. He's after the heart. So can I just give you a couple of real practical pastoral suggestions? What would be some helpful words? Even boys and girls, you can write this down as well. Show mom and dad afterward. What would be some helpful words for all of us that we could incorporate into our conversations? Ready? Number one, please and thank you. Let's just start there. Please and thank you. Number two, this is so important. Don't miss this. I sinned. Will you please forgive me? I mean, just the humbling statement of I sinned. Will you please forgive me? Number three, I love you. I love you. Number four, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. You know this. What an encouragement it is when someone says to you, I've been praying for you this week. I'm praying for you. I'm thinking of you. God brought you to my mind. And I'm praying for you. Number five, I'm thankful for you because... I am thankful for you because of the following ways. Or number six, this is a good one. I need to be done talking right now. I just need to be quiet. And that's okay. I just need to be quiet. And one more, don't miss this. Number seven, I think it is. Purify my heart, O Lord. Just a simple prayer. Purify my heart. Why? Because you know in praying that prayer, you're asking God to purify the fountain, the source out of which your words will flow. Now, you and I can read these verses, and we've now sat under the preaching of the word in these verses, and you might sit here today and you think, Jeff, I feel terrible. I mean, this is Christmas week, and we should have, we should have family and, and joy, and I feel miserable right now. 
convicted. I feel like I, I haven't spoken well at all. I don't feel happy. You and I have sinned far more than we could ever imagine. And we're guilty. We're guilty. Yes, sins of commission, things that we've done, sins we've committed, and sins of omission, things that we have not done that we should have done. Our our, our words, our emotional reactions, our impulsive outbursts of of, of anger, our, our bitter attitudes. I mean, it just reveals the sin in our hearts. Yes, we've sinned. But Christian, your iniquity has been totally removed. The Lord has promised in the word many times. That he removes our sin far from us. At one point, Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west. Do you believe that? We need to also hear that your punishment has been taken. Your punishment has been taken. What does that mean? The hell that you deserve was placed on the soul of Jesus on the cross. Your disease has been cured. Your sin disease, totally cured, completely, instantly, eternally. It doesn't mean you're perfect yet. One day in glory you will be. But the battle with sin, spiritually before a holy God, has been dealt with. Your guiltiness is cleared. You stand before God blameless and without reproach, without any fault, Colossians 1 says. And Christian, hear this. Your sins are paid for. I mean, the many sins that you have. And you might sit here and maybe you're thinking, I just said it today. And it's in your mind. Man, what I said yesterday, what I said this week, I can't believe the things that I've said at work, what I've said to my wife, what I've said to my husband, how I treated my children. Your sins are paid for. In total, in full, completely. God's word is incarnate. Jesus came from heaven. He took on flesh. He is the word of God who tabernacled among us. And for those who have not come to Christ, even boys and girls here today, you need to hear this. For those who have not come to Christ and your words and your heart and your mouth is corrupt and you don't care. You don't do anything about it. You don't feel convicted. You don't mind talking the way that you do. God would say, come, come to me, turn to me, all you ends of the earth, come to Jesus Christ. You know why we need to hear that? Not just for an unbeliever to come to Christ, but Christian right here, we need to look to Christ. And the reason we need to look to Christ is because you and I are so, so corrupted in our mouths, even as believers. 
But look at Christ, totally perfect in his words. Listen to Mark 1:41. Moved with compassion, Jesus said to the leper, I am willing, be cleansed. Matthew 7, 28, Jesus finished preaching the great sermon on the mount and he finished preaching and all the crowds were amazed at what came out of his mouth. Mark 6, verse 50, to all the terrified, to those who were fearful, Jesus spoke words of comfort. What did he say? Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. In Mark 13, 31, Jesus said, my words will never pass away. In John 3, 34, Jesus said, I speak the very words of God. In John 18, 37, Jesus said, I have come to testify to the truth. In John 10, verse 19, Jesus' words were so true and so heart-penetrating that they often sparked divisions among people. Peter said in John 6, verse 68, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. Zechariah 9, verse 10. Now, Zechariah 9, 9 is the prophecy of Jesus riding on a donkey. Verse 10, right after that, says the Messiah will speak peace to the nations. Luke 4.22, people marvel at the words of grace that came from his mouth. John 7, verse 46, the crowd say, never has a man spoken in the way that this man speaks. What's the point? Why do I give you all those scriptures? Because Christian, you and I have sinned, but Jesus has not. You and I are guilty in the words that we have spoken that fall short of the glory of God, but Jesus has perfectly obeyed. Where you and I have reacted sinfully, Jesus responded perfectly. Where you have dishonored God's name, Jesus honored God's name perfectly all the time. Where you and I stand guilty before the holy God, Jesus stands pure, blameless, and guiltless. And guess what? That perfect obedience through simple faith, God credits all of that to you. All of that to you. It's like, it's like Jesus says, let me take all of your sin and I want you to receive all of my obedience. And I want you to be accepted before the sight of Almighty God, not because of what you've done, but because of what I've done for you. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of grace. That's the beauty of the free gift of salvation. That's what Jesus has come to do. He came to obey where you have disobeyed. And he came to die for your sins. And he came to take the punishment that you deserve. Receive him. Look to him by faith. Again, maybe today might be the first day that you look to Christ by faith. And For us as believers, we need to keep looking to Christ by faith every single day. So before we come to communion, 
one more word about our speech. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 7, there's an account there of a great multitude, which no one could count, from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And they're clothed in white robes, and they are crying out with a loud voice something. What are they crying out? Revelation 7.10. Salvation belongs to our God. What are the words that come out of the mouth of those in heaven? Salvation is from the Lord. It belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. May it be that as we think about the cries of heaven, the praise of heaven, the worship of heaven, that our tongues would be filled with praises to the Lamb, that he loved me. And that he died for me. And he, and he rose for me. And now he's in heaven praying for me. And he's holding me in his hand and never to let me go. And one day, he will return again for me. What a Savior. Father, thank you for the word in James chapter 3. And Lord, all of us read these words and we are convicted because we realize the reality of our tongues, as James said it here, that the tongue is hurtful, the tongue is untamable, the tongue is hypocritical. Lord, we're guilty, we confess. We, we say with David, set a, set a door over our lips. We pray with David, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. O Lord, forgive us, help us, be honored and glorified, we pray, even as we come to the Lord's table and worship you in just a moment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.